You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Zach. Um, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, um, yeah, it's, it's awesome and it's a, it's a real privilege to be here uh, speaking with you. So um, I work for First Hawaiian Bank. Actually, I, I used to work right in the building uh, downtown here before COVID and I would drive by this building before going to work and coming from work uh, every day. So it was kind of cool when we, when we moved here. Um, and then since COVID, I've been working remotely, and that's like the most amazing thing. I love working from home. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a data scientist for them, which is really like ambiguous and not that helpful. Um, but yeah, wow, I've never gotten that reaction before. So um, basically, it just means, you know, I, I write some code, I do some analysis, and I just stare at a screen all day. So why am I telling you that? Uh, today... Like Chris said, we're kind of going through Proverbs topically, looking at individual, uh, you know, themes rather than looking at specific chapters or verses. So today, we're going to be talking about work and about work ethic. And that's not something that we really think to talk about a lot, really in the context of church. Um, and, And when I say work, I'm not just talking about, you know, I have kind of a whatever, like nine to five corporate job, but that could be your student, that could be you have your own business, that could be you're a stay-at-home parent, that could be you uh, are a caretaker maybe for someone in your family. So when I say work, it's really whatever you spend your days and weeks doing. So what does Proverbs have to say about that? And kind of for me, as I've been going through this and thinking like, what does Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom literature that's like thousands of years old, written by these people that lived on the other side of the world, what does that have to do with me, somebody who works at a bank, who works remotely and stares at a computer all day? I think it has a lot. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this place. Thank you that you've brought each and every one of us here. Thank you that uh, you, you care about our work. You care about what we do. And you want us to, to live the good life, Lord. You want us to live lives that are full of joy and, and satisfaction and hope. And uh, I just pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would show us uh, what you have for us from your word. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that uh, you've redeemed us and you've given us life. And it's the only reason we're here today is because of you. So we thank you so much for him. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Okay, so Proverbs. Just a quick reminder, a quick overview. The book of Proverbs is made up of a bunch of Proverbs, which are basically just short little sayings. And they're meant to communicate some greater truth, and they're meant to be memorable. So, for example, uh, measure twice, cut once. That's kind of an example of like a modern-day proverb that we have. It's short and it's catchy, but it also helps you remember the underlying wisdom. So, 
the book of Proverbs is full of these sorts of short, memorable sayings that are conveying a greater truth. So we're going to look at a couple of them now that, that talk about work and talk about work ethic. And they should be up on the screen. We're going to start in Proverbs 6, 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. So what we have in these verses is a depiction of two different types of people. And within those two depictions are two choices of the types of people that we can be. On the one hand, we have a hard worker, a diligent person. That's the person who's willing to do what needs to be done to get their hands dirty, and that has prosperity. And on the other hand, we have the lazy person who doesn't really work hard, doesn't really contribute to anything, and they might want a lot of things, but ultimately they're left unsatisfied. So we're going to talk more about these two choices, these two different types of people. And what the author of these Proverbs is doing here is contrasting them by putting them right next to each other. We're learning about one by learning about its opposite. So we can learn about laziness by learning about hard work, and we can learn about hard work by learning about laziness. And that's why these Proverbs are sort of structured in this way. So first, uh, we're going to look at how the Bible defines laziness. And then we're going to look at how it approaches work. And I think once we have a better definition of what those two things are, then we can really look to apply it to our lives. Because the Bible gives a really amazing and really radical picture of work. And I think we can really get a lot of purpose and meaning from it. Okay, so laziness. What does it mean to be lazy? Well, the first thing that I think of when I think of laziness uh, is actually our couch. So Meg and I have this couch, right? It's, um, we, we actually bought it during uh, COVID. One of our friends was selling furniture from this super big house in Lanikai, and we got it for like 10% of what, what it's worth, um, and it's called a cloud couch. And let me tell you, it like lives up to the name. Whatever comes into your head when you think cloud couch, it, it lives up to the hype. Um, and anyone who's uh, been to our house or in a Honor group and has sat on that couch, like, will tell you. Um, sometimes it's kind of a problem with Ohana group because you look up and like half the people on the couch are like falling asleep because it's so comfy. Um, so uh, that's what I think of when I think of laziness, because uh, Meg and I certainly spend, you know, a lot of time lounging on there. So what is Proverbs saying? Is it saying that we need to go home and, and burn this couch because it's, it's laziness? Well, I really hope not, for one thing, but I also don't think so. I think there's a, a, a better picture of, of laziness. And maybe uh, if you're following along in your Bible, in your Bible um, you might have seen the word sluggard. That's kind of another way... Uh, kind of an older term that's used for a lazy person. 
So I want to look at four attributes of laziness that we see in Proverbs. So first one, a lazy person won't begin things. Looking at Proverbs chapter 6, but you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest? Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So uh, my family, uh, if they're watching, shout out you guys, they probably found it super ironic that I'm preaching on this verse, um, because all the way through high school and into college, I had this like old school alarm clock. Not, not my phone, but like an alarm clock. The one's like eh, 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 super loud and obnoxious. And no joke, it would be like an hour of me every day like constantly snoozing this alarm clock. And sometimes I wouldn't even snooze it. Like I would literally, it was two feet from my face and I would sleep through it. And I would come upstairs and my family who all slept like on the top floor, two floors above me, and I was in the basement. And they'd be like, we heard your alarm going off for an hour. Why didn't you wake up? I was like, oh, I didn't hear it. So um, <laughs> this is you know, kind of ironic that I'm talking about this. But um, is that what this is talking about? Is it just talking about hitting snooze a couple extra times on your alarm? Uh, again, I think there's more to it than that. What this verse is saying is in order to do anything productive, in life, right, you have to start first. And the point of this verse is that if we have a constant attitude of not starting, of pushing things off, of just kind of taking the, the comfort in the short term, then those little choices can really add up. And while it may seem fine in the moment to just to keep pushing stuff off, it does have consequences. There's a quote uh, from a, a Bible commentator uh, named Derek Kinder, and speaking of the lazy person, and speaking on these verses, says the lazy person deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. So this proverb isn't saying, you know, never get tired, or never take a nap, or never hit snooze on your alarm. And it's also not saying that we always have to say yes to absolutely everything. But it's warning us against making a habit of not committing, of putting things off, of choosing the immediate and, and temporary comfort. So that's number one. Number two, a lazy person won't finish anything. Let's look at a few more verses. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. So these proverbs are kind of meant to be a little bit over the top and kind of almost comical, right? It's talking about this person who, they actually start the thing, right? They go out to hunt and they catch something but as soon as they catch it, they're like, ah, oh, I can't be bothered, and they just leave it there, and they just go home. Or the even more uh, extreme example of someone who has food right in front of them, but they can't even be bothered to pick it up from the bowl and put it in their mouth. Um, and that actually made me think of this scene um, from Toy Story 2, 
Uh, I think I have a picture of it here. So I don't know if you remember this is like my childhood, but uh, Al of Al's Toy Barn, like he falls asleep on the couch and he's got this giant bowl of Cheetos. Like he can't even be bothered to finish his, his snack, right? He falls asleep in the middle of, of eating it. That's kind of like the picture that this verse is giving. And again, it's meant to be kind of like almost comical or kind of an over-the-top example. But there's a deeper truth there. Being able to start things doesn't mean much if you can't finish them. There's wisdom in being diligent, in persevering, and in seeing things through to the end. So a lazy person uh, doesn't finish things. Third, a lazy person makes excuses. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. The lazy person claims, there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. So the lazy person makes excuses. Looking at uh, 1519 there. For someone who has a good work ethic, the path forward is, is clear, it's open. There's nothing that's preventing them from doing the thing they need to do. But for the lazy person, that's, that same exact path seems daunting, or they're finding things blocking them, or it's way, they're saying it's way too challenging, I can't even, I can't even do it. And, and look at 22.13, they're claiming, oh, there could be a line outside, I can't, I can't go do my work. And, well, yeah, that's technically true. Technically, you could get eaten by a lion. That's not their real goal, right? They're not legitimately worrying about a lion. They're just lazy. They're just not wanting to work. And these are super practical examples, and, you know, I think we can all kind of understand what, what the author's getting at here. Rather than working, a lazy person makes up or thinks up reasons why they can't do this or why they can't do that. And in order to make up for that lack of effort, they have to be kind of deceptive, right? Making up these things. So, these verses aren't saying, you know, be unsafe. And it's also not saying that worries or uh, anxieties are an excuse for laziness. That's, that's not what this verse is saying. Don't, don't, don't think that. Uh, and I think there's, there's one other verse that helps kind of clarify what it's talking about here. Uh, Proverbs 26, 16. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. So this proverb is saying that lazy people think that they know better than everyone. And we need to make sure that uh, we're not rationalizing our own laziness, that we're not believing our own excuses. And as we're thinking about laziness and hard work, we really need to approach that with humility and, and really examine ourselves and examine our motives. All right, last one, number four. And I think this is why all of this really matters. A lazy person is restless and unsatisfied. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at the harvest time they look 
but find nothing. The title of, of this series is A Guide to the Good Life. And that means that we're looking at how Proverbs shows us wisdom on how God create, living how God created us to live, living the good life. And what Proverbs is showing us is that a life of laziness is not the good life. And I, I don't know, for me, it's easy for me to dream of a life where I don't have much responsibility, right? I can eat what I want. I can, I can sleep when I want. Uh, I can, you know, read a book on the beach or play golf or play pickleball every day. And I don't, you know, I don't have any responsibility. And, you know, especially when it's the middle of the work week and it's just a tough day at work, it's really easy to be like, oh, I wish I was doing anything else but working right now. That's, that's you know, that's a natural response. But what the wisdom in Proverbs is telling us is that life where we don't have any responsibility, where we're just kind of doing nothing all day, that's not the good life. And in fact, it's a way to a really empty and a really unsatisfied life. Somehow working is a part of God's plan for us. Why is that? What does Proverbs mean when it says, you know, all hard work brings a profit? And also, too, you know, if I'm going to church, if I'm reading my Bible, you know, I'm, I'm trying to love other people, I'm sharing the gospel, I'm following Jesus, why, why does it matter if I slack off at my job a little bit? So we've looked at laziness, so now let's look, let's look at work. Let's look at hard work. What does the Bible have to say about that? Um, yeah, so, so my first point on that, God works... And he created us to work. So we're going to go back to the first part of Genesis. It's kind of like a theme. I feel like I've done that every time I've talked up here. But sorry, not sorry. Um, so let's look at, uh, yeah, the beginning of Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. He brings order to the world. He creates the plants and the animals, the land, the sea and the sky, everything in it. And, and then that's chapter 1 and we get to chapter 2. And this is what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished from the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. So you see it right there. God works. God isn't just kind of sitting up there with his feet up and the angels are like feeding him grapes or something. No, no, God, God works. And God created us to be like him, to be in his image, which means he created us to work as well. Let's look at a, a few other verses from, from, uh, from Genesis. The Lord took man, that is Adam, the first human he created, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Let's look at another one. Then God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, the first two humans, and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God, at the beginning of creation, commissions humans as the ones who are made in his likeness to, to steward, to govern, to reign over the good world that he had created. God created us to work. And notice here, too, that this isn't just about, like, survival. 
This isn't just trying to get food on the table at the end of the day. This is about flourishing and thriving in God's, in the good world that he created, right? It's about being in partnership with him. And at least for me, you know, that's not how I usually think about work. Um, it's, you know, it's really easy for me to, you know, you live for the weekend or, you know, you can't wait for that vacation or you're just trying to get to five o'clock every day. But Proverbs and Genesis are telling us that God made us to work. And part of living well, part of the good life is that work. So we've looked at Proverbs. We've looked at Genesis. Let's look at Jesus. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this. This is in John chapter 4. Jesus said to them, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. The point of Jesus' ministry, the whole reason he came to earth in the first place was to do the work of his Father. And not only that, he's telling his disciples that they can participate in this work. He uses the analogy of, of a field and harvesting crops. So Jesus worked, and he calls us to work. Now, what was Jesus talking about exactly when he said he came to do the work of his father? Well, uh, let's, let's take a second and, and define what that is. What, is. what work is Jesus calling us to? So, we've already seen that God created the world and he created humans to be in his image, to be his partners, right, in, in ruling and, and reigning over the world. And Adam and Eve were the first humans, and they lived in the Garden of Eden in God's presence. They had a a relationship and a partnership together. Uh, But Adam and Eve wanted to do their own thing. They wanted their own wisdom, and they, they disobeyed, or they sinned against God. And that meant they were no longer worthy of being in God's presence anymore. That caused a separation between God's space and human space. We could no longer be in the same place anymore because of our own sin. But God God wasn't content just to leave it that way. He sent his son, Jesus, down from his space, down from heaven to earth. And Jesus was perfect. He didn't sin. And like I said, he came from God's presence and he was worthy of being in God's presence. And when he died and when he was raised from the dead, he gave us the ability to be forgiven. Which means by believing in Jesus, having faith in him, our sins can be taken away. We can be made worthy of being in God's presence again, just like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, So because we can be made clean and holy, just like Jesus is, we become a little piece of heaven, a little part of God's presence here on the earth right now. And this is what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. This this is the work that he came to do. And that kingdom is right now. You can can today believe and accept Jesus as your savior and have your sins forgiven 
and start living as a part of that kingdom. But it's also a future hope. Uh, Jesus, when he rose from the dead and when he went back to be in the presence of his father, he said that he was going to come back one day. And that when he came back, he was going to bring heaven with him. One day, God is going to make new the heavens and make new this earth. And all, all the wrongs, everything that is wrong with this world is going to be perfected through Jesus. Because God's space and our space, we're going to be able to be together again. And there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sin, no more injustice. And we're going to have eternal life in God's presence. God's going to restore that partnership that was lost. That partnership that we saw in Genesis. Except now, it's through his son. It's through Jesus. So, uh, that is the work that Jesus, that Jesus came to bring. He's bringing the kingdom of God. And that is the work that he calls his disciples to be a part of. He calls us as his followers to be a part of bringing that kingdom. Being a part of the redemption of the world. Both now, in part now, but also when everything is made perfect in the future. So that's, that's the work that Jesus did and that he calls us to do. So, with all that being said, something, you know, might have crossed your mind. This is kind of what, what came to my mind. So, we're supposed to be hard workers, right? We're not supposed to be lazy. And Jesus calls us to work for God's kingdom. And somehow, that work that we're doing is supposed to bring us, you know, purpose and, and fulfillment. So, if that's the case, then, well, we got to be a, a pastor or a missionary or we got we to gotta work for a nonprofit, right? Something where we're, we're helping people. You know, if I'm sitting in front of my computer by myself all day, how can that possibly stack up against, you know, against being a pastor? Or, you know, we just had a, a group from YWAM go be missionaries in, in, in a Muslim country and, and share the gospel there. How can what I'm, you know, working for a bank, how can that possibly stack up? Let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 3. This is Paul talking. He says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This verse is super radical. And it, it, challenge, it challenges at least my conceptions of work. What this verse is saying is that any work done in the Lord is work done for the Lord. Here's maybe an, another way of saying it. There's no such thing as a job that pleases the Lord more than another if it's work being done in the Lord or for the Lord. There's no such thing as a job that pleases the Lord more than another job if it's work being done in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that being a pastor or a missionary isn't a good thing. Obviously, that's an amazing thing, and it's, uh, it's a huge testimony that God has called those people to do that. And it's extremely important. But that doesn't have to be our job 
in order to work for God. And it doesn't have to be our job in order to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God, the work that Jesus has called us to do. So what, is it, what does it mean to work for the Lord? As working for the Lord, what does that mean? It means, you know, as you go about your life, as you're going through your, today, your day today, whatever that is, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, like a nine to five job, whatever it is you're doing, Everything, including, you know, your work, your job, should be done for God's glory. Your goal in whatever you're doing is to serve and honor Jesus because of the love and gratitude that you have for what he's done for you. But it it doesn't just stop there. It says that we're working for an inheritance. And that inheritance, that reward for working for the Lord is what we talked about earlier, is is the kingdom, is the new heaven and the new earth that's going to come. It's us being able to live and have eternal life in God's presence forever. That's our inheritance. This world has a future and God has a plan for it. And when the purpose of our lives is to work for God's glory and work for his kingdom, we're contributing to that inheritance. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. So whatever it is you do, if you serve and honor Jesus with it, you're a part of bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth. Here's kind of a, a, a summary statement of all that. When we serve and honor God through our work, we are participating in his redemption of the world. When we serve and honor God through our work, we are participating in his redemption of the world. Uh, so I, I love living in Hawaii. It's, a, it's an incredible place. You know, the people, the weather, the food, the culture, the natural beauty, the food. And um, I know you love living here too. But there are also some really hard things about living here. And there's also some really dark things here. Corruption and, and poverty and brokenness and pain. You know, I don't, I don't have to tell you. Just imagine with me for a second a Hawaii that's, that's made whole. One that's made perfect. Where all of the best parts of it are, are amplified and all of its broken places are healed. And redeemed. As followers of Jesus, that's what we're contributing to. That's the kingdom of God. And if you are living and working in service to Jesus, you're a part of that. You're a part of bringing heaven and earth together again. We are contributing to that inheritance, both right now, but also the one that's to come. So that means. There's no such thing as sort of your normal work and then your Christian work, right? You don't clock out of normal work on Friday and then you clock into Christian work when, you know, you go help with kids ministry or when you walk through the door on Sunday. Everything that you do is to be done for God. And all of it brings blessing. And that is a radical way of looking at your job. I, I know I, I do not 
see my job as that way. But that's, that's the biblical picture. And that's why, that's why Proverbs says, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. It's, talking, it's not talking about just money. It's talking about spiritual growth, spiritual wealth. And it's talking about that partnership with God. And if we are lazy, even in things that don't seem like that, they're not that important, we're not living how we're created to live. And we're going to end up being dissatisfied and, and discontented. And if we're lazy and we lack integrity and perseverance with, uh, you know, with the small things, with, with things like our job, how, how can we be contributing to the kingdom? How can we work for the kingdom if we, if we can't work well you know, in our earthly jobs. So, that's a lot. And all of that sounds great, like, in theory. But what does that mean practically? Ceci had a, a great example last week where you come to church and you feel fired up by the sermon uh, and you go into Monday morning like, okay, I'm going to live for the Lord. And then... You have to talk with that coworker, or that boss sends you that thing, or whatever it is. And by you know by lunchtime on Monday, you're like, I I can't do this. I can't live for the Lord. And you're only a tenth of the way through your week. So uh, you know how do we do this? How do we actually live this out? I'm going to be honest. I don't fully know. Just just to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what that means for me. This, this prep has been super uh, convicting for me, and I've really seen my own uh, shortcomings in it. But here are uh, a couple guidelines that I think can be helpful. So number one, your earthly work and your heavenly work are deeply connected. So we kind of talked about this already, right? But your you know, whatever it is, your, your nine to five, your classes, whatever, whatever it is you do, and the things that you do to serve God, like reading your Bible or volunteering somewhere or, or speaking the gospel, both of those things can bring glory to God. And both of them contribute to your heavenly inheritance. One doesn't start where the other one stops. We are supposed to live in a continual state of loving and serving and fully relying on God. Number two, your work should not produce, or sorry, your work should produce the fruits of the Spirit, not the attributes of laziness. So those attributes of laziness again, right? Not starting things, not finishing things, making excuses, being restless and unsatisfied. Does that describe your work? Or do these things describe your work? Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and odd a few more. Like we talked about last week, justice, integrity, honesty. Do those things describe your work? So this week, maybe pick, pick just one of those things. Pick one of those things, and as you're going throughout your day, try to live in that. For me, I need to work on patience. 
because it's, it's, when I don't have patience, it's really easy for me to slip into those, those attributes of laziness. Uh, one thing that, again, this happened this week and I was really convicted by. Um, so when I get a new email, I get like a little notification on the bottom of the screen, right? And it has the subject, who it's from, and like the first quarter of the first sentence of the email. And this happens way too often. Well, I'll see that little notification and I'll read the first quarter of the first sentence and I'm like, oh, I already know what they're going to say. I, you know, I already told them that or I already told them we can't do that or I've answered this so many times. Why are they asking me this? Da, 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 da. And most of the time when I actually go open up the email, I'm like, oh, that's not what they were asking at all. Yeah, sure, I can do that. Or yeah, that's really easy. Or but I don't have any patience. And sometimes just out of spite, like I won't look at the email for like an hour because I already know what's going on. I don't have any patience. If instead I just opened up the email, I would save myself so much restlessness, right? And being just like, ugh. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe try and pick one of those fruits of the Spirit and try and live that out this week. Last one. Work hard not for money or status, but for God's glory. So I want to qualify here. The Bible isn't telling us to work hard and not be lazy, and then that, that gives you permission to just go chase your career and, and forget everything else. Say that again. Proverbs is not telling us to work hard, and Proverbs telling us to work hard and to not be lazy isn't permission for us to just forget everything and just, just chase work. It's not what it's saying, but that is a really common thing in our culture. People work their butts off at their job their whole life and then uh, they, they do it to the exclusion of everything else and then one day they, they retire and what do they have to show for it? A, a good 401k? Don't waste your life chasing some title or chasing some number in your bank account thinking that that's going to give you purpose because it's not. And, and all of it's going to go away. Instead, work for God's glory. Receive an internal inheritance. Be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. That actually has value. And that doesn't apply just to like your, your earthly job. That also applies to your work you know, at church or your work you know, your spiritual work. Don't come to church on Sunday or don't volunteer in kids' church if you think it's going to make people like you more or you think it's going to make people think you're a good person. Don't give money to church because you think you're going to get a return on your investment. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's the most important thing to remember. Who we're serving and why we're serving him. And uh, I'll invite uh, Zoe and Andrew to come back up now. Because um, we're going to transition to our second time. And what we have on the two tables over here is communion. And what communion does 
is it helps us to remember the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we can have joy, we can have hope, we can have satisfaction in our work. Jesus came and died and allowed himself to be brutally murdered so that we could live the good life. So as we go into our weeks, let's, let's fix all of our attention, all of our devotion on him. And as we, we moved into this second set of worship, let's really take the time to worship the God who redeemed us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for, thank you for your body. Thank you that you were willing to come uh, and be fully human and to walk among us. Thank you for your blood that you were willing to be the sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven. Thank you that you call us to be a part of your work in the kingdom of God. Thank you that we don't have to go through this life with no purpose or no hope. I pray, Lord, that, that your kingdom would come. We long for that day when you will make everything right and when we will be able to work perfectly together in your presence again. But until that time, Lord, give us the strength to, to not work for ourselves, but to, to work for you in everything that we do and that everything we do would bring glory and honor to you. Thank you so much again for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen.